Hey guys, welcome to a very special episode of Another World Audiobooks. Uh, so, let's see, between Tarzan and Treasure Island, uh, we did a special indie author segment, which was awesome, where I had a short story from Sarah Marie, and then a sample of a book from my good friend Zachary Wilson, and uh, today, you might notice, so like, wait, this is, well, I, there's more than one episode, like, we got a, an episode on Sunday, now there's an episode today as well, what's going on? Okay, so we got the normal audiobooks are still going on, so don't worry about that, Treasure Island is still be posting every Sunday, uh, just like clockwork, because, you know, that's what this podcast does. But like I've said, I really want to spotlight indie authors, because as an indie author myself, I know how hard it is to, to get the word out about your book, and that is why I reached out to Rebecca Kenny on Twitter, and uh, we actually were able to connect there, and I uh, told her a bit about Another World Audiobooks, and uh, she was gracious enough to let me uh, read a sample of one of her books. She is an excellent author, and has a, a ton of, of work out there. And uh, you can check all that out. I definitely recommend that you go and check out all of all of her books. Um, we're just doing a sample, so you're just going to get a taste of one of her books. This is the first in a, in a trilogy of books that you definitely need to check out. But yeah, um, all the links are going to be down below. I put them all down there, so it's just really quick and easy. You guys can just click over. And it's also all the links are going to be on the blog as well to all of her stuff because I want you. That's the whole that's the whole deal here. So I'm I'm reading these samples so that you guys can just get a taste of what these awesome indie authors are doing. There's so much good work out there and uh, my my goal here is just to, to spread the word and get get uh, you connected with other indie authors who are putting out awesome stuff that you might enjoy so yeah definitely check her out it's uh, again it's Rebecca Kenny uh, you can find her on all kinds of social medias links also down in the description of course as always so uh, yeah this book is called Corrigan and uh, I, I like it it's very much uh, into the, the Irish and Celtic myth and lore which I just I love that stuff it's so so exciting and uh, just such an interesting take on things because I don't know I, I feel like we live with um, some a, a, a desire inside of us for for mystery and excitement and uh, things like legend and lore and uh, things like that where it's just it's so ingrained in our society it's like mm, maybe there's something more to this so I hope you guys enjoy this first segment of this sample of Corrigan by Rebecca Kenny. 1. Monster Ashlyn Just before dawn, when every other 17-year-old girl in my town is still sleeping, I turn off the TV, switch off the lamp beside the couch, and head for my prison. My waking hours are over, and I must be in my dungeon before the sun rises. I go down a steep flight of stairs to the basement of the house. It's a comfortable space, furnished with giant poofs and soft rugs and colorful art. A blonde woman waits for me, tall and silent. She opens a concealed panel, punches in a code, and a section of the concrete floor descends a few inches, then slides seamlessly aside. There's a square, black pit at my feet. She flips a switch, and the light below snaps on, harsh and white. With a whining, grinding sound, a metal ladder moves slowly into place. Extending down and down. I don't want to go down there again. The words slip out before I can stop them. One more day, she says. One more, I promise myself. Then, never again. I take out my jeans and shirt and lay them on one of the poofs. I'm wearing plain cotton underwear. It will be shredded when the change starts. Slowly, rung by rung, I climb down the ladder into the pen. It's a huge white room, walls made of thick concrete. The floor is far, far below me, so that the beast can't jump high enough to reach the trap door to the basement. I see the familiar cracks in the concrete, and marks of the beast's claws scoring the walls and floor. There's nothing else. 
There used to be a sort of bed of thick cushions, but the beast ripped it apart in a rage, and it was never replaced. Happy birthday, says the woman, and presses a button. The ladder withdraws, folding upward, and the trap door slides shut. The first day of April, my birthday. Other seventeen-year-olds might spend their birthdays going to school, having a party with friends, celebrating with family, getting gifts. I'll spend the day locked in a prison underneath our basement, waiting for my demon to come. I can always feel the moment when the sun rises over the edge of the horizon, and the way is suddenly cleared for the beast to cross over. The magic buzzes in my veins like a thousand unbearable insects, and I have to scream every time. My body fights the change every day. I try to relax into it, but I can't or won't. I struggle, I scream, and then the beast breaks out. Tendrils of dark matter explode from me, lashing and overlapping to form layers upon layers of tissue. They bind my body, and then they start wrapping my face. As I always do, I fear for a moment that I will suffocate. But I am the beast's lifeline, its connection to this world, and it will not let me die. I am crushed and compacted to a tiny iota of consciousness and a vast mass of muscles and tendons and bones. But I am alive. It's hard, even painful, to stay awake. Most days, I let my conscious mind sink into sleep. Whatever power controls the beast doesn't really need me. It's a primal, magical force, driven by an instinct for death and destruction. It will claw the walls of the dungeon again and again, leap at the ceiling and fall again and again. So I try to sleep, and wait for the night, so I can come alive. The hours pass slowly, because my beast and I are more restless than usual. I can feel its panic, as if it knows that its time is short. I am seventeen now, and I can perform my first life-stealing. I will take days from a human, and as long as those stolen days last, I won't have to change form again. I won't have to spend my nights alone, awake in the big house, or pass my days in this dungeon. From now on, being a Corrigan will be more bearable. The next thing I know, I'm awake, shrunken back to my human form, bare and shivering on the floor under the fierce white lights. The trapdoor in the ceiling is open, and the ladder is coming down. Sometimes, I have to wait a while for my guardian to let me out, but tonight, they are right on time. Usually, I'm lucky if the five other Corrigans spend a scant hour or two with me in the evening. Most of the time, we eat on our own, whenever we're hungry. They do their work or go out in the evening, and I do my online classes or homework. Once in a long while, we go shopping or drive downtown to attend a concert. Then, they go to bed leaving me to amuse myself for the remaining hours till dawn. So, I read novels, watch TV, play online games, try some recipes, or work on art projects that never end up looking very good. The Corrigan take it in turns to lock me in the dungeon before sunrise, but tonight is different. Tonight, they will wait up with me, and I will leave alone at midnight for my first life-stealing. Just past midnight, I am hunched in my hoodie, riding my bike along the road that connects our lane to a nearby subdivision, I've spent weeks spinning along this route on my bike, preparing for this night, watching my target. I chose a house without an alarm system. The family probably thought that their neighbor's alarm system signs were enough to keep intruders away, especially since the houses in this neighborhood are so close together. The moon is full and round, but enough clouds are scattered across the sky to give me some cover of darkness. I park my bike in the trees bordering the backyard and slip from the dark hedge to the shadow of the shed till I reach the back door. I have practiced unlocking and relocking it on previous nights, so it was no trouble to pick the lock tonight. As I enter, I whisper the charm for silent feet, an old one that the Corrigans have used since the days when they used to steal babies right from their cradles. In these more civilized times, we don't take the whole child, just a span of days. 
Soft as a kitten, I walk through the living area on the ground floor. It's a modest, lower-middle-class living space, nothing like my grand home. Tidy enough, but with baby gear, blankets, and toys tucked into unexpected corners. Quietly, I creep up the steps, down the hall, and into the back bedroom, where I know that a four-month-old baby girl is sleeping. There's a baby monitor. Not the video kind, thank goodness. I carefully place a pillow in front of it to muffle any sounds. Then I step to the crib and look down at the baby. She is so tiny, sleeping there in the warm glow of her nightlight, her tiny arms outspread. She's wearing some sort of zippered blanket over her sleeper, and there's a little stuffed animal attached to the pacifier lying nearby. Her eyelids are smooth and pink over the dark lashes that brush her plump cheeks. I fight the urge to scoop her up and snuggle her, but I need to hurry. She could wake up any minute and cry, and her mother might shuffle in to check on her. I raise my hand and whisper Gaelic words. The old tongue works magically only for the fae. When humans speak it, nothing happens. The spell sounds harsh on my lips, cruel as the thing that I'm about to do. And it appears before me, the baby's life force. Twining up from her chest like a thread of gold, it spirals lazily into the air. Barely breathing, I reach out and grasp the curling end between the thumb and ring finger of my left hand. A shock thrills straight through my arm to my heart, and I clamp my lips to keep in the gasp. I can sense the lunar cycles in this soul's life stream, like pulses within the flow of energy. Just as Maeve said, I can't tell how many there are, since only part of the life stream is exposed, but I tell myself that it feels like a very long life. There are many years here. She won't miss one, surely. I focus on drawing a bit of the life stream into myself, very slowly, very carefully. I don't want to take too much. The feeling is intense, overwhelming. My body is glowing, reverberating with it. It feels as if my very cells are changing on the spot. I've almost drawn in an entire lunar cycle. And then, the baby stirs and whimpers loudly. I hear a soft thud from the next room. Quickly, I whisper, Dairith, to end the spell, and the golden strand of light recedes until it disappears into the baby's chest again. I step to the closet, which is half open, and shrink into the dark space behind the closet door, just as a shadow enters the room. I hear the rustle of a robe, a soft murmur, and a shushing sound. The baby settles, sinking into a deep sleep again. I can hear her quiet breathing. After a moment, the footsteps of the mother retreat back to the hallway. All is quiet, but I can't move. What if the baby's mother comes back? I can't risk opening the lifeline again. I have a month. That will have to do for now. I wait another twenty minutes, and then I slip quietly down the stairs and out of the house. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. My heart is pounding, my hands shaking. I get back on my bike and ride, silent and swift, out of the subdivision and down the long street. I have a twenty-minute ride back home, and it's a good thing, because I'm a mess. I need time to calm down, to review what happened. I was almost caught, on my first time. But I wasn't seen. I followed my training. I hid, just in time. I'm okay. I'm safe. Still, I only have a month. I was supposed to take a year, or six months at the least. It's disappointing for sure. It took weeks to find the perfect mark for my first life-stealing, and I won't have much time to find another before my scant thirty days of sunshine run out. Thirty days. In spite of my worry, I can't stop the smile from spreading over my face. I'm going to feel the warm April sunshine on my skin. I'll walk to the corner store in the sun for once and see the daylight customers instead of the pale, tired nighttime ones. I'm going to stay up for the rest of the night and then I'll watch the sun rise for the first time ever. But first, I will have to face the Corrigan. 
the five women who have been my family, my mothers, my teachers, and my jailers for my entire life. I can picture their reaction to my news. Magnolia, curvy and red-headed, and free with hugs, will squeeze my shoulder and tell me it's okay, and that it will all work out. She looks about the right age to be my mother, though of course she is far older than normal teens' mothers. Her fascination with terrifying things fueled my childhood, and she was always telling me frightening tales and warning me about one thing or another. Everything from ghouls and ghosts in the cemeteries to snakes and ticks in the forest. She also told me about the sharks and jellyfish and marrows in the ocean and the brain-eating amoebas in the lakes, possibly trying to make me feel better that I can't visit those places. She understands fear. She will be the one most sympathetic to my story. Jillian and Gemma are dark-haired twins who could be in their early thirties. For fun, Jillian likes to find people's weak spots and pry at them. Gemma spends most of her time distracting herself with one fad or another. Both of them are completely man-crazy, and apparently have been on and off for centuries. They'll find some way to make a joke at my expense, and then giggle together like teenagers. I wonder if I will still find things to laugh about after I've lived for several hundred years. Arden will frown from her favorite seat in the corner, where she works incessantly with her smartphone and laptop. She looks to be in her mid-twenties. Her hair is always changing colors, from midnight black to fierce red to nut-brown or platinum blonde, as the mood strikes her or fashion dictates. For her, making money is almost as important as life-stealing. She'll wonder why I didn't just suck it up and finish the job. The four of them can laugh at me, frown at me, hug me, but Maeve is the only one whose reaction I fear. She is the oldest of the Corrigan, and although none of the others will tell me her history, I've overheard them calling her my lady when they think I'm not around. She's tall, with short-cropped blonde hair and aristocratic features and blue eyes that look ice-cold or scalding hot depending on her mood. She's the only one of the Corrigan who hasn't changed her name at some point over the centuries. Maeve. What will she say to me? Too soon, I'm gliding off the main road onto the lane that leads to our house. When the Corrigan moved here eight years ago, they chose an isolated spot and had the place built brand new to the very peculiar specifications. I'm not sure how they explained the gigantic cement-walled basement under the house. Most likely, they had to pay a significant sum of money to keep the builders quiet about that part. I was too young to care much about it at that time. For me, it was simply the changing of one prison to another. The house appears through the trees, gleaming silver and white and dark gray in the moonlight. I suppose it's beautiful, with its blend of old-world architecture and southern charm, all gables and stonework and pillars and porches, five bedrooms, six bathrooms, several living spaces, and a four-car garage. Maybe I'll come to love this place, now that I won't be trapped here in the daytime. I swing left and ride the paved path to the back of the house, where I roll my bike into the shed. With my hand on the handle of the back door, I pause and close my eyes. Deep breaths, Ashlyn. Tell them what happened. It'll be okay. I step inside, slip off my shoes, and hang my hoodie on its peg. There's no point putting it off any longer. I shuffle from the mudroom into the great room, the living area where we all gather for anything of importance. As I expected, they are waiting for me there, all five of them. Magnolia stands when I enter. How did it go, honey? Were you seen? Says Arden. She's all sharp eyes and chopped black hair and savage cheekbones, and her tone is equally sharp. Almost, I say. But I hid just in time. Jillian gasps. What? Maeve holds up her hand. Calm down. These things don't always go perfectly. Ashton, tell us exactly what happened. I don't want to talk about it, but they will keep questioning until they drag every detail out of me. 
So I tell them about the baby and her sweet face, about the golden lifeline and what it felt like to draw it into myself, to take days from a helpless, tiny human. By the end of my story, the reality of what I've done has settled like a weight in my stomach. I feel my insides lurching. Excuse, I'll be back. I... I race down the hall to the bathroom, catch my long red hair in one hand, and vomit into the toilet. Cold sweat breaks out all over me. I want to tear the baby's stolen month out of myself. What right did I have to take a piece of her life? I'm crying, and the tears streaming from my eyes fall into the toilet bowl, into the vomit. I thought it would be Magnolia who came to me, but instead, I hear the rustle of Arden's crisp pencil skirt as she kneels beside me. Her cool fingers untwist the hair from my clenched hand and pull it back from my face. Don't say it's all right, I tell her between gritted teeth. It's not. No, it isn't, but it's the way things are, the way we have to live. We don't have to steal, we could just... Just what? she asks. Go out only at night, live in the dark like vampires? What kind of life is that? Of course she is right. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in the darkness. It's not fair that we have to steal it, I say. Life is cruel. Why? She sighs, wipes my mouth with a wad of toilet paper, and drops a soiled clump into the bowl. She presses the handle to flush everything away. If only I could get rid of my guilt as easily. No one who saw the beginning of the world still lives, she says. We have to piece together the truth as best we can from what we see, the cruelty and the kindness. She tucks one hand under my chin. For now, you need to let the guilt go. You have a month of days ahead of you, and the first day will begin in a few hours. Sleep. You have so much to look forward to. After she leaves, I stand up and wash my face in the sink. I stare at myself in the mirror. Delicate features, full lips, green eyes, and an ample scattering of freckles. I know I'm pretty, but I still feel unremarkable most of the time. Too pale, too fragile looking. The most striking thing about me is my waterfall of curly red hair. Magnolia says that it's just like my mother's. In the few videos I've seen of her, it's always long, down to the middle of her back. And I keep mine that length, too. I wish she could be here for my first day. But she died in a fire in the little apartment she shared with my father, far away in Texas. My guardians have no videos or photos of my father. I tried googling him a few times, but the name Paul Byrne goes with a surprising number of people. All I could find was a scant mention of his and my mother's death from an online news service near where they lived, and all I know of my mother is what I've seen from a couple of VHS home videos and a few photos. I suppose Maeve or Arden cleaned up any digital traces of them. It's the kind of thing you have to learn when you don't really age over the centuries. Arden is an expert with computers. Maeve calls what she does digital magic instead of the old kind. It's how the Corrigans stay hidden and how they make and take the money that fuels our lives here. Shaking my head, I break out of the zone I'm in and rinse my mouth with water. I'm suddenly starving, but I'd rather not encounter everyone again, and if I go into the kitchen, I'll have to. Stupid open floor plan. I climb the steps and walk past the upstairs living area and the other bedroom to mine. It's all the way at the back of the house in the eastern corner. Not that I use it much. Most of my sleeping happens when I'm trapped in the belly of the raging beast, and there's nothing better to do. Now that I've got my days, I'll be sleeping here at night. Strange. The time till dawn passes slowly. I can't seem to focus on TV or a book. When the first rosy flush of dawn starts in the sky, I leap off my bed and fly down the back stairs and out the door. I'm going to see my home in the daylight for the first time.
The lawn around the house is smoothly green, bordered by magnolias with their broad, shiny leaves, and by oaks standing in carpets of leftover acorns from last fall. There aren't any creamy flowers on the magnolias yet, but the azaleas and rhododendrons are in bloom. I've seen them at night. As the light pours gradually into the clearing where our house stands, the azaleas aren't black and silver anymore. They are bursting with lavender and vivid pink, blossoms piled up like fresh green leaves. I want to throw myself into them, like a child leaping into a snowdrift. And the forest, it's all glimmering green and golden in shadow, and it looks magical. Right now, with the sun peeking over the treetops and shining in yellow shafts through the trees, it's easy to imagine a world full of pixies and fairies and other delicate fey things. A world without my kind. Without monsters. But now isn't the time for self-loathing. I circle the house until I reach the long, tree-lined driveway leading up to the front door. When we first moved here, I rarely went outside. The silvery moonlit lawn and dark trees did not appeal to me, and when I did go out, I almost never ventured down the drive, because the trees hung over it like dark goblins with long, twitching black fingers. But the sunlight? Total transformation. Instead of a forbidding tunnel, there's a sun-dappled path with a green and gold ceiling. The road looks inviting, but the call of the woods is stronger. I'm Irish, and I'm Corrigan. Roads are for normal teenagers. I follow my instinct and plunge into the pathless forest. It feels so good to run, to explore, to walk aimlessly. I find a creek and I sit on the bank, drinking sunshine. There are clearings and fields to cross, and hills to climb. Somehow, I keep my sense of direction, and eventually, I work my way back closer to home again. After nearly two hours in the forest, I'm famished, but I don't want to go back to the house. What I went through to gain this day, it was painful, and I don't think the others understand. For them, it's a routine practice for centuries. For me, it was frightening, and morally questionable. I still feel guilty about it. On a morning like this, though, with a clear blue sky and crisp spring air, who could sit with guilt for long? I feel like a thousand songs. I know I can conquer the world. But I do need food, and there is so much more to see beyond the forest, people and places, and I know just where to start. On past late-night excursions, when I was feeling bolder than usual, I would follow the drive and go down the south road to a little corner store, the kind that sells motor oil alongside gum and corn chips. With a little spending money the Corrigan allow me, I would buy a snack or a soda just to get out of the house and live a little. The place is open 24 hours, so it's perfect for someone who is awake from dusk to dawn. I could go back, get my bike, and ride there. But this is my first day, and I want to take it slowly, and with the sunlight on my side... I decide to take a shortcut through the forest. Before long, I step out of the trees into a parking lot that I know well, although I've never been here in the daytime. I can see the pavement clearly, riddled with cracks that sprout stubborn bits of grass. Chips of broken glass and old wads of gum litter the asphalt. There's the peeling paint, the faded posters plastered on the red brick walls, all in fresh color. And, as I walk across the lot, I feel the warmth of the sun, unfiltered by trees, shining on my bare arms. I turn my face up to it and close my eyes for a minute. Then, I sense the watchers. I open my eyes, and there are three of them. Three boys about my age, leaning against the side of the store, in the deepest part of its shadow. I guess they are all cute enough, but for some reason, I notice one in particular. Maybe it's the daylight making everything seem amazing, but I think he's the most beautiful boy I've ever seen. Bold cheekbones, strong jaw, full lips, flawless brown skin, and eyes dark as space, fixed on me. There's something about the way he's looking at me, a kind of wonder and surprise, that makes me flush. This day is too important for distractions or embarrassment. 
I'm going in to get my drink and snack, and then I'm going to see the world, and no handsome boy will get in my way. I walk past him and enter the store. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rain check. Zane. When I see the red-haired girl come out of the trees, I think for a second that she's the goddess of spring. She steps out of the forest with that curly red hair falling all over her shoulders, and she moves smooth, like wind or water. She stops for a second, looking at the store. Then she closes her eyes and turns her face up to the sun, holding her arms out a bit like she's worshipping it. Weird, but somehow hot, too. Half a second later, she opens her eyes and looks right at me, just for a beat. She keeps walking, straight for the door of the store. As she passes, I see that her cheeks are pink and her eyes light green like spring leaves. What's up with me? I'm thinking like some kind of damn poet. I take a second look, and I notice the skinny jeans showing off her long legs. Her plain t-shirt is dark green and just tight enough. She's real, all right. Flesh and blood, baby. She disappears into the store, and I notice that the other guys have gone just as quiet as me. They noticed her, too, and I don't like it. I push myself away from the wall. I'm going in to say hi to Devin. Julio and Frank laugh. Yeah, right, Frank says. You go say hi. Maybe we'll come too. I give him a glare and go into the store. The girl is standing at one of the refrigerators, choosing a drink. I saunter up to the counter where Devin is lounging, a wad of gum in his cheek. Hey, man. He jerks his chin up at me. Sup, Zane? I feel her walking past behind me. She stands to my right, puts a can of soda and granola bar on the counter. In a minute, she'll pay for it, and then she'll leave. It's now or never. Nothing comes into my head. No clever lines, no smooth sayings, just... You live around here? Did I say that? Yes, I did. She opens her mouth, but Devin cuts her off. Yeah, man, she lives around here. I see her when I do night shifts, and up till now, that's the only time I see her. You know, I started to think you were a vampire for sure, but now here she is in the daytime and all that, so I guess she just... I'm a night owl, says the girl. She smiles a little, and something about her expression makes me suspect that there's more to the story, a lot more. And just when I was thinking I should forget about girls till after graduation. Where do you go to school? Why can't I think of anything to say except more questions? This is starting to sound like an interrogation. I'm homeschooled. She says, like an apology. My family doesn't like the public school system. Yeah, it's not always great, I say. But you can meet some cool people. Like you? She smiles wider. Devin laughs. Oh man, she quick, he says. Shut up, D. But I can't help grinning too. 
I think no one could help it once they saw that smile of hers. I don't know where to go next, how to get to asking for a number part. My brain just isn't working right. Damn, Zane, pull it together. So, if I ever want to meet these cool people, where would I go? Outside of a classroom, I mean. There's a little quiver in her voice at the very end. Just what I need. She is nervous, too, and suddenly, I can talk again. Well, I don't know, I draw. It's hard to predict when and where the fun is going down. Why don't you just give me your number so I can let you know? Her smile fades. I don't have a number. Not yet, that is. I mean, we just... Hey, it's cool, it's cool, I say. But I would give it to you if I had one. We stand there, sort of not looking at each other. I clear my throat. Well, um, I'll see you around. You enjoy your Diet Coke there. You know that fake sweet stuff will kill you, right? Not likely, she says, with that same little secret smile, and I'm gone. Homework, graduation, my search for a summer job, everything shrinks, becoming fuzzy and small and far away. And she's the only thing in focus. I stand there like a mute idiot while she pays for the soda and snack and walks past me, toward the door. She reaches for the handle and turns back. I'm Ashlyn, by the way. It's spelled A-I-S-L-I-N-N, but you say it like Ashlyn. Oh, I say. Awesome. She steps through the door. She's almost gone. I'm Zane. It comes out like a croak, and I curse in my head. Nice to meet you, Zane. And then, she's gone. Alright, thanks guys so much for listening. Remember, like I said, uh, Treasure Island episodes are still going to be posting every week. I just want to be able to get these out even while Treasure Island is going because I, I just love connecting with indie authors. So if you or anybody that you know is uh, like Rebecca Kenny, an indie author trying to get uh, trying to get your word out there, I would love to talk to you about uh, maybe getting your work read on Another World Audiobooks. It's something that I just love doing and uh, I'm looking forward to doing more in the future. So... Uh, the whole idea of getting more episodes out there, it does take some extra time and effort, so if you um, enjoy what we're doing here at Another World Audiobooks, would you maybe consider supporting the podcast? Um, you can do that at anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks, and you can just click on support this podcast, or um, if you'd like to help me with the editing process, that is um, definitely the uh, the thing that takes the longest. If that's something that you want to help out with, that would be amazing, or just tell people about the podcast. That's the best way, easiest way to just do it. Spread the word, because there's there's tons of people out there I know who love a free audiobook, um, all kinds of free audiobooks, and that's that's what we're doing here, so if, if you can just tell them about it, uh, that's the only way they're going to find out. So you just helping spread Spreading the word is amazing, and uh, I just really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Again, thanks to Rebecca Kenny. We'll be coming uh, at you next time, uh, before the next Treasure Island, with uh, another part of this book. So um, I'm doing, I kind of broke up. She gave me a, a pretty large sample, so I, I broke it up in a couple episodes here. So look for that coming soon. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Don't worry, you aren't the only one. You aren't the only business that needs help. You aren't the only person that has a hard time finding the right help at the right price. This is where Business Bloodline becomes your bloodline to temporary and permanent staffing. Business Bloodline specializes in hiring internet workers to creatively solve problems for your business. Business Bloodline does all the vetting and only delivers candidates that make sense for your needs and at a cost that you can afford. But 60 seconds isn't enough for me to tell you why hiring through Business Bloodline is safer, cheaper, and less time-consuming. We would rather show you. To get more information or a business consultation, visit businessbloodline.com. If the job can be done on a computer, Business Bloodline can find a match. Visit businessbloodline.com and tell them that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get 10% off your first hire. Remember to mention that you heard about it on Another World Audiobooks to get that 10% off. Businessbloodline.com